were in this collection. My wife kicked off. Man, how good was that last week? Anybody here when she was preaching last week? Dang, this I thought was good. This side wasn't here, I guess. Um, but, but it was so good, and we started off that, that collection, but why? But why? Kind of when we get in these moments where we're saying to God, but why? You know, like this happened or that happened, we're in this spot, whatever. So we're going to go on week two of that. And I, I, the, when we, weeks ago, before we started, the Lord kind of drew me to this text in, in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want us to spend some time there in, in what I, the title I'm given today, which is the God of drought and destiny. The God of drought and destiny. The thing is, sometimes he's the God of both. Sometimes I get my own self into a drought. Sometimes God brings me to a place of drought. It's tough to know which is which. In this text, the drought is not because of blame. The drought is not because of fault. It's because of destiny. And many times, our like frustrations just get the better of us. We don't realize God's trying to make us into something. We forget that. He's trying to mold us. We don't realize traffic has its purpose. Lines have their goals. It's not just to get to the end of them. Maybe it's who we're standing next to or talking to in the line. So let me tell you what's happening in, in 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read some of the text and I'm going to share some of the text. And that's just for sake of time because... The Old Testament a lot can can there can be a lot to explain and a lot happening. It's like a it's like almost like a story in itself. And so what's happening here is there's a prophet named Elijah. Not to be confused with the prophet named Elisha. Okay? Two different prophets. So prophet Elijah is there. He's being he's being used by God. He's a man of God and and I would say this, he is about to to kind of um, walk in what will be one of his first great signs that he is truly a man of God. What God is calling him to do and put it on his heart is because there is some evil in the land and because the bad guys, so to speak, have taken over, what he's going to do is he's going to call for a drought and no rain to touch the ground. The, the theory behind this is that God will take care of his people in the drought. And so he says, there's going to be a drought, and it won't rain again until I say it rains again. And when the Lord tells me to, to, to speak rain over this land, that's the next time you're going to see rain. Well, it happens. And people are like, oh, wow. This guy must really be walking with God, and this God must be real. So when that happens... The Lord says, now, Elijah, I'm going to take you to a place where you can go and I can take care of you. And so he tells him to go over to this brook. That brings us to basically verse 4. He tells him to go to this brook at this certain place. And in verse 4, he says, he says, you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. You know, you can't, little side note, some side notes here. There's going to be several side notes. You can't tell everyone everything that God spoke to you. Because can you imagine, like, the guy calls down, hey, there's not going to be any rain. And then he's like, yeah, man, God told me to go over to this brook, and ravens are going to feed me. People are like, yeah, bro, you crazy. That's what you are. Like, 
who knows if you're really right that you said it wasn't going to rain because it's only been so long. But like sometimes the Lord will tell you this is what you're going to do or this is what you're going to be or this is where you're going to go. And if you just go around blabbing it to everyone, your faith will begin to just dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And you may never actually go because no one else believes that ravens could drop off food for you. And better yet than that, even it's like the raven in the time was an unclean bird. So it doesn't really make sense that a raven would bring food because he's a man of God. He needs to live by a certain code and, and, and he can't be associated. He can't eat ravens or, or really even touch. He can't, he can't do that. And so if he's like, oh, well, they would say, maybe someone's going to bring you food, but not a raven. It's rationalizing it, right? But then even on top of that, I thought, as we're thinking about the ravens, as we're thinking about this unclean and this, like, this, this whole concept of being fed, I realized, you know, sometimes... Side notes, okay, guys? I realize sometimes that what's unclean often brings the delivery from God. And sometimes, like, God will use a straight-up person living and going to hell and hating Jesus to, to do something or say something or be something that delivers a message or a word or provision from God to you and then will think it's all about the raven but it really was just about the food being delivered. So I want, I, I guess maybe a great side note is sometimes when provision comes from a place that seems odd, maybe don't overthink where it came from as much as the fact that it came from God. And when someone speaks a word to you that just like rings true, and like, hey, God told me to say this to you, and they say it, and it's just right, don't hype them up that they're more than they are. Because the word was from God anyways. And you don't know what they do in their free time. And you may not want to be like them or want to be with them or want to be around them. Who knows? Because God can use anyone for his purpose. He's the God of creation. He's the God that holds it all. And in this case, he uses the unclean raven. He could have used any bird. Could have used the eagle. Could have just made it appear. He's done that before. But he had ravens drop it off. And he had him drop it off in a certain place. So just in the first spot here, I'm like, okay. Don't tell every, everyone everything you know. Don't worry that sometimes the message comes from an unclean thing. And also remember the place has significance. The place that he called him to well, was what was connected to the provision. And many times, God makes the promise, I'm gonna, if you go to this place, I'm going to send a raven to feed you. The brook is going to give you water. And we take the promise, but we don't go to the place. He says, if you'll seek me with all of your heart, then I will teach you all things. And so we say, God, teach me all things, but I don't want to seek you with my whole heart. He says, if you'll step out in faith, then I will, I will move and you'll see me like never before. And we're like, God, yes, you said, you said, quote, and I will move and you will see me like never before. He's like, yes, but remember the first part of the quote when I said, if you'll step out in faith? And we're like, no, I don't remember that part. I remember the part where you said you would move. God said, if you'll, stand, if, you'll, if you'll stand up and really be bold like, I, like you know in your heart you should do and say and, and be and act, he said, then you'll see that I'm the true God. And we want to see that he's the true God, but we don't want to be bold. Many times the place, whether it's an emotional place or whether it's a physical place, is connected to the provision. If we want the provision, we don't want to go to the place. The place that he goes to 
It says in, in chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, it says, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Praise God. I believe that over every single one of your lives. And he went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. He had his bread, he had his meat brought by the ravens, and he drank from the brook. The brook called Cherith. You know what Cherith means in the Hebrew? The root word of Cherith means to cut off. It means to cut out. It means to prune. It means to trim. He went to the place. Okay. A lot of context, I guess. It's not going to rain. He just stood up in front of everyone and said, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain because God has spoken me to do so. Gives the glory to God. Becomes probably known throughout all the land as the man who stopped the rain and said, when he says again, it's going to rain. People want to be around him. People want to be with him. They want to hear from him. He's hearing from God. They're, they're probably like offering him money to come do stuff. Hey man, why don't you come and say something to us? Why don't you come over here? Just make it rain right in this spot. Like what else does God tell you? Does God tell you more stuff? They're trying to all get around him. He says, no, 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 no. Like at the, at, at the hype of your Old Testament fame, what I really need you to do is although it seems right like you will be around a lot of people, go on a little revival and preach a lot and do all these things, what I really need you to do is I need you to come over to the brook and I need you to be all by yourself because when you're by yourself, you realize you're not by yourself. You're with me. And I'm going to feed you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to show you that you really don't need, you don't need any of them like you need me. And at the brook, at the brook Cherith, I'm going to show you what it means to, to be cut off but also, I'm going to cut some things off that don't need to be there because it really was never about stopping the rain. It really was never about if it rained or if it didn't rain. or It, it was about the journey God was taking him on that everyone would see he is the living God, that he is the true God, that there is none like him. So there he is. He's at the brook. And verse 7 of chapter 17 says, The brook dries up this is the this is the tipping point for a lot of us because we're like god i listen to you there may be such choice selective words that are thrown into our prayer that i shouldn't say at church i went where you said to go i'm here at the brook the ravens are bringing me the bread how could you let the brook dry up this is where we begin to ask but why god but why? Why would the brook? Why wouldn't you just make the brook flow? Did did I do something wrong? This is what we did. I do something wrong? Was I not in your will? Did I not hear you right? We begin to question. We begin to question. We begin to question. But many times, the reason the brook dries up is just to draw us into deeper destiny. If the brook didn't dry up, he could stay there for however long he wanted. But once the brook dried up, he realized, I have to go somewhere else. And sometimes the Lord has to dry something up in our life to know that he even can draw us to another place. Because if it's too good sometimes, we're like, I'm not leaving. But now I'm here and it sucks and I need something different. And so now I'm like, oh, maybe I will go to church. Maybe I will find some new friends. Because things, pardon me, because things dry up. <laughs> My voice is about to dry up. Praise God. 
Fame dries up. Popularity dries up. Friendships dry up. Jobs dry up. These things, these are, you're you're like, I I know that we have never been, probably I haven't, I'll speak for me. I've never been in a spot where the Lord has called me to a physical river. And he's like, this river's going to supply your needs. And like, I'm there, I'm like camping on the ground. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, ravens are dropping. I haven't been in that spot, but like where a season has, relationships are drying up. I've been in the spot where a job's drying up. I've been in the spot where a season has dried up and I'm beginning to think maybe I'm no good, but really what he wants me to think is that he is good and he's trying to take me to another place. But if it's so, if it's too comfortable here, I won't go. If there was no drought, he wouldn't have went to the brook. And if the brook didn't dry, he wouldn't have went into his destiny. And so it's there and he's just dry and the Lord's drawing him and he says, He says, I need you to go to a a town. I need you to go to a town. And in that town that you enter, there's going to be a widow there. You're going to see her. You'll know who it is who's going to take care of you. Go there next. Now, as you read the rest of the chapter and the the chapters to come in chapter 18 and chapter 19, and you'll realize that the Lord was taking him step by step in faith. That if the Lord would have told him what he was really going to do and where God was really taking him, then, then Elijah, the great Elijah, would have said, I can't do it. But step by step in faith, he could do it. And so God's leading him, just like he leads us, step by step in faith. And so he says, go to this next town. So in, cha- in, in verse 10 of chapter 17, it says, so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, the Lord told him there will be a widow there that will take care of you. That, doesn't make, that makes less sense than the ravens. Like, ravens delivering the, the, the bread and the meat makes more sense than a widow who has nothing. The, the fact that she's a widow implies that she cannot work and she has nothing. And we're in a drought now. So whatever she did had has dried up. So that alone is like, no, Lord, like, that's like him saying, what I need you to do is I need you to quit your job. And I know you're, you're hoping for more. And I know you're wanting to get a better car. I need you to quit your job. And I need you to go to the worst job. Like, take a step down. And you're like, No. I take steps up. You're a good God. You continue. Right? We tell God what we need sometimes. Don't play around like you. Like I'm the only one. <laughs> this is a step down. And now he's, now he's got to go to the widow. So he goes, you know what? He's an obedient guy. And the Lord has provided. He has building track record with God. And he's beginning to trust. His faith is beginning to grow. And so he says, okay, here's what I'll do. And I'll, I'll go to the widow. You know, the, the, word, the word widow that they use in, in the Hebrew that, that describes the widow is is Almana or almana. And it means person with little or no power. That's what a widow was. She had no say. She had no power. She had no money. Especially this widow. She's out gathering sticks. They're in a drought, okay? If you're in a drought, I get that there's no water. Maybe there's no flour. Maybe there's no resources like that. But in a drought, you know what there's plenty of? Wood. 
firewood. She's, she's, it says in the text that she's gathering sticks so she can go and make a fire. And she tells him later because she has one little bit of flour and one little bit of oil. She's going to make a cake. She has a young son. It says in the text that her and her son are going to make this fire, make this cake. They're going to eat it and they're going to die. That's their plan. And she's out by the gates, okay? She's not in her town. She's not by her. She's way out by the gates, and she's gathering sticks, not logs, not firewood, sticks. That's like po. You can't afford the R on poor. That's how poor you are. That's where she's at. And God has said, go and ask from her, all the people in the land, go and ask from her to provide something for you. You're like, God, you're playing, right? Now, something important to know is that Ahab, who's ruling at this time, he's an evil king, he has forced almost every single person that used to follow the God of Israel, God, that used to follow him, to bow down to Baal, a false god, and to submit and no longer worship God. There's only, out of, out of tens or hundreds of thousands that were walking with God in this city, which is a huge city in Zarephath. It's big. It's, it's, it's a big city. Lots of stuff happening there. There's a little bitty widow there. All of the people of God have turned their back. There's none, there's none that are following God because they're all so scared of what the king might do to them. He goes up to a widow who, by the text we realize, doesn't serve or even worship God because she says she refers to the God as your God, not our God or my God. She says your God. And ask something from her. Lord, you must be crazy. There must be a better way. So when he comes up on her, I don't know, when he comes up on her, she's gathering sticks. He asks her, still verse 10, would you bring me a little water in a jar that I may drink? And she says, Bro, I ain't no water, ain't no jar, ain't no drink. Quote, that's what she says, bro. The Greek. It's Hebrew, but still. In which he says, she describes the situation, we're going to gather these sticks up, we're going to make a little fire, we're going to make a little cake with our little bit of oil and a little bit of flour that we have, and then we're going to die. That's our plan. Me and my little son. I'm a widow. My husband is gone. I have no way to take care of We're in a drought. I have no money. This is what's going to happen. And he says to her, because he knows the God that owns it all, he says to her in verse 14, he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He says, Would you, would you get me a little, would you get me something to drink? Oh, and, and if you have anything to eat, would you give me something to eat? And she says, bro, we ain't got nothing to drink. We ain't got nothing to eat. There's no water. Haven't you heard? Even the one brook that we heard about way over there has dried up. Everything's dry now. The season is dry. The drought has fully set in. There's nothing to make. There's nothing to cook. I got a little bit left. I'm going to eat it. And we're going to sit here for three days and we're just going to rot away and die. This is our destiny. This is where we're going. And he says, no, 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 no. You're going to go and you're going to do, you're going to make the cake and you're going to, and you're going to get the glass of water. And you're going to give it to me. And the little bit that you do have will never run out until it rains again. 
And she's like, but what the heck, I'll try that. Like, I can make one cake and I can die in, in a day and a half, or I guess I can give him the cake and see what happens. What's the difference? And sure enough, it continues to last and last and last and last. And for two years, it did not rain. And the little bit of oil and little bit of flour that she said she had last Elijah the prophet, her and her son for two years, for more than two years. And she did not run out. And I'm wondering, is there anyone that God has spoken to that you have not run out, you will not run out, but also you need to hold out because where you're at is not where you'll be. Because forever she did not live on a little bit being drug along and drug along and drug because eventually it rained and she had plenty. And if she will hold out long enough, then she'll see that she never was going to run out. And some of us are in that pattern right now. We're in that, it's, it's, it's maybe not even because we're, we're messed up or we're wrong. or we're, is it, What did she do that was wrong? I mean, why, God's not punishing her. He's not punishing Elijah. He's crafting Elijah. And maybe we're in that spot of those two years right now. Maybe it's been two months. Maybe it's been 20 months. Maybe it's been two decades. And it's just, it's like the promise we're still holding on to it, that the oil and the flour won't run out. But you're still thinking, but this can't be all there is, God. And he says, oh, I know. It's not. Because soon, it's going to rain. And when it does, I'm going to show everyone that I'm the God that is above every God. And there is no God like me that supplies for his people. But God, if you but why, God, if you supply for your people, then why are we in drought? And I would say, because sometimes it's only the drought that can lead us to a destiny. So Elijah is there. They're living their life. They're doing their thing. He's, he's staying to kind of watch over the widow and take care of her. And, and she's got the oil and the flour, so they kind of have their agreement going on. And, and he's there, and he's just kind of waiting for his next assignment from God, right? And, and God is doing some great stuff because the oil and the flour hasn't run out and they're continuing to cook with it. And I mean, that's pretty impressive. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just like you pour a little bit each time and then it just doesn't go away. You thought you were going to run out of energy, but he just gave you a little bit more. You thought you were going to run out of money. You look at it and you should have, but it just, you didn't. You, you still had enough, just enough. But just enough for long enough begins to just wear you down. And I'm sure they're getting close to the wear you down spot. And then guess what? Verse 17. Bad goes to worst. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And the illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. I picked that verse it described well. He died. So now... Let's change it to her perspective for a second. I'm minding my own business. I'm not trying to bother you, God. You're not trying to bother me. And you send this person in my path that's, that's now trying to, to, to do godly Christian stuff. 
telling me that the flour's not going to run out and the oil's not going to run out and these things. And, and I'm kind of trusting you and I'm walking with it. And I'm like, you know what? what well, I, I'm doing it a little bit. And, and how you repay me, God, is by killing the only thing that I really cared about. I didn't even care about the oil. I didn't even care about the flour. I cared about my son. And this is how you repay your people? I mean, I'm a widow. Let's take it from that. You send me the man of God, this cursed man of God into my house. And since he's got here, it hasn't rained. And since he's got here, it hasn't gotten better. And since he's got here, now my son is dead. Thank you. No thank you. Right? Now let's take it from Elijah's side. Oh, Lord, what have you done? I didn't ask for this. To be your man or to be your person. And if I did, I, I don't think I meant it like this. Why would you cause me to speak over the whole land that drought would set in? How would that be good for us? And now here we are, we're suffering and we're hurting. And you brought me to the brook and that was fine for a little while. And then you dried it? What are you thinking? I mean, just aren't you the God that created the waters and makes them flow? Run some into the brook. And then you bring me from there to this woman and you have me use her resources? And then her son dies? Don't you know, God, she's going to blame you? Don't you know, God, she's going to blame me? How am I now going to live in a destiny you call me? I'm now the sun killer. I lived in her house for a few days, and now her son is dead? Don't you know everyone in the land is going to hear about this? I went from being the guy that said it's no longer going to rain and everyone gets drought. Now I'm the guy that kills the sons. What are you doing, God? This is his but why. But I picture that Elijah musters up the smallest amount of faith that he has. I mean, he, he just reaches down and spiritually speaking and just says, if I could just scrape up whatever little bit of faith that I have left and just take that. He's like, God, this can't be it. He goes to the room where the boy is and he says, God, this son cannot die. He must live. Now, let me tell you something, because you know that Jesus has been resurrected. You know that Lazarus has been raised. You have read in scripture the 10 people who have been brought from death to life. You've read that. You know of that. You may have some familiarity with that. That's out there. That's, that's knowledge. You can Google it. You can go type in, you know, uh, something on Google about people that are in the Bible that were dead and came back to life. Elijah cannot. Because up to this point, no one has been raised from the dead. No one. There's no precedent for that. It's hard to have faith for things that seem impossible. It's impossible to have faith for things which there is no precedent. I heard a miracle of someone else getting a car. That gives me some faith. Maybe I could pray and get a car. I heard a miracle of someone else's marriage being restored. My marriage, maybe I could pray in my marriage. My marriage. I heard a miracle of someone else of, of giving, their, giving their money and then and, and being blessed and they were tithing and returning back to God and God truly was taking care of them. So maybe I could, I saw someone get in the, get in the baptism tank and get baptized. I saw their life change. That was, I looked into their eyes and I saw they're different now. I, I've talked to them since before they were a Christian and I see them now and they're different. Maybe, maybe I too could be different. There's a precedent for my faith in this, but in this, there's no precedent. And what I want to say is, are there anybody in the room and deep in your heart you know your destiny has no precedent but still you have faith for what God has spoken over you
Nobody like this has that. God, there is no one for me. God, there must not be something you have for me. God, there must not be something you're doing in me because I've never seen it. Like There's no press, there's no standard, there's no setting, there's nothing out. You've never seen it. And here he is. There's never been anyone raised from the dead. Why would he think? God didn't say, go pray for the boy. God didn't say that. He said that. He spoke it. He asked. He begged God. He put it all on the line. He chose a destiny that was bigger than him, that had no precedent. He did that. He was the one desperate enough to have that faith and to put it all out on the line. And sometimes we have to get to a place, and I, I, I so am bummed that it is that, but we have to get to a place where we're all the way in the corner and there is nothing else but us and God and disaster. And it's in that spot that we decide which one will we choose. Will we step into disaster or will we step into faith? Because there's nothing else. Sometimes we feel like we're stepping into both. There's nothing else that it can be. So he was the first. He was the first one to speak and believe new life would come into old bones. And some of us in the room need to be the first. The first in our family to go to college. The first in our family to have a marriage that's functional. The first in our family to pick a career that we never could do. The first in our family to decide that we'll have peace in our house. The first in our family to decide that pornography has no place. The first in our family to decide that alcoholism will not rule us. The first in our family to decide, to decide, to decide. We got to be the first sometimes. Now, I praise God for those that are in the room that get to walk in a second generation of faith, that get to walk in a second generation of wealth, that get to walk in a second generation of blessing. Praise God for that. But sometimes we got to be the first so that the next generation can walk in what we have because all other people that got to raise in, from dead to life and walk could remember hey Elijah did it and who was he but a servant of the true God and if he could speak and life could come into those old bones and that boy could be raised then maybe just maybe there's a hope inside of me that God might use me to do it so to those whose destiny has no precedent I want you to hear what the woman said to him afterwards when he spoke life into the son and the son came back and lived. In verse 24, she said, and the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. It shifted. It used to be your God and your word. Now, it's the God and the word. The oil didn't convince her. The flour didn't convince her. New life convinced her. And when you set in your heart by faith that even if there's no precedent, you will believe. When you set in your heart in faith 
That God, wherever you say to walk and wherever you say to go and whatever word you give me to declare and whatever truth you put inside of me, I will be it. I will walk in it. I will best I can not waver. I will stand firm to where you have called. When you see that resolve inside of you, other people that God has sent you around will say, now I see that God is the living God and that his word is true as it comes out of your mouth. And you can imagine the reputation that went through the land. God is leading him from this place over here where he was born to another town where he called a wooden drought to Cherith where he would have at the brook to Zarephath where he would go to the, to, the, to the widow's house closer and closer to the king because all along God's drawing him to confront the evil king that his people might have a ruler that declares Jesus Christ as Lord. That his people might have a ruler that says Jehovah is God. So the story continues. And the fame continues to spread. In another two weeks when I share again. I want to teach them the rest of the story. Because it's just getting warmed up. But for now I want to say. When there's no precedent. Will you have faith? When you're staring at drought. Will you believe destiny might come? When you're looking at the hardest things you've ever seen. Confusion. And you want to ask, but why? Instead, will you say, but God? Let me pray. I want to give us a moment to respond in worship. Maybe this is a great time for reflection and to say to God, where have I been asking, but why? And I should be asking, but God? Where have I been looking and seeing only drought, but I should have known that all along the drought was only drawing me to destiny? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that, that you have given us precedent in so many things. But give us faith, God, to believe what seems so hard to believe in. Give us faith, God, to know that you see us, that you're guiding us, that you have not left us, but you're leading us. I pray every word that was from the flesh would die into these concrete floors. But every word that was of you would go into wet concrete in the hearts of people right now. And would solidify to be firm foundations for us to stand and have faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.